Welcome back to the Make Lemonade podcast, the show for creators by creators, where we hope to inspire creators to earn more money through their own lemonade stand. I'm on your co-host, James, and I'm back here with JRFR, co-founder of Lemon Squeezy. How are you doing, JR? Good, good. Excited to be here today. Well, today we've got a very special guest. We've got Thomas Frank, who is a YouTube creator who on his main channel has over 2.8 million subscribers and 138k subscribers on his Notion Focus channel, which is the one he's focusing most on now, which is called Thomas Frank Explains. He started out helping ambitious college students study better and pivoted to the self-help personal development niche. He's a creator in every sense of the word, going from YouTube videos to writing books, making courses, and even launching his own streaming platform with some other creative friends. Now, though, a good chunk of his income is coming from these Notion templates, making over 100K per month consistently. Wow, that's a lot. Thomas, you do a lot. Welcome to the pod. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing very well. Excited to be here. Cool. That was a lot to get through. So you started making videos about studying for students. What sort of videos were they? I started as a blogger first, and that was actually back in college. Basically, I, I applied to write for another site. I got rejected, and I'm like, I'm going to make my own site. I ran that all throughout college, and then in 2013, very near my graduation, I added the podcast. So it was blog podcast for several years before I got into video, and I literally like graduated went a year running my business with no YouTube, just blog and podcast, and then got into YouTube, realized I spent my entire college career running this blog, running this podcast, almost no academic content. Because I just didn't care about that when I was in school. Like I, I got decent grades, but I wasn't like trying to maximize my grades. I wasn't trying to study better. Yeah. I was trying to go to you know clubs and run my business and do freelance and make friends and all kinds of stuff. So that's what I wrote about. And then I realized like, well, if I'm going to build the ultimate resource for college students, it ought to have a great library of content on how to study and do well in your tests and all that. So I went hard on that for many years. And it kind of started with my YouTube channel getting started around the same time I was trying to build this email opt-in because everyone back then said, like, if you want to build your email list, you got to have an email opt-in, like you got to have a free ebook or something. So I'm like, cool, I'll make this, I don't know, 5,000 word guide on how to get better grades. And that turned into an entire book, <laughs> like 27,000 words, whoopsie. Uh, I still give it for free, <laughs> but I was like, well, cool. I just wrote myself an entire book of content and now I can just make videos out of this pretty much. So the, the whole loop for several years was once a week, make a video about a concept usually related to studying or academic performance. And the video, I pitched my newsletter in the book and that helped me build a YouTube channel with up to a million subscribers when I was focusing on students along with a pretty big email list as well. When, when did you make the change into, I, we talked about this last episode, but there was, it's a natural progression into productivity tools. When did you kind of, when did that spark? Was it when Notion started to get popular or did you kind of have this idea before that? Do you mean just like generally covering productivity tools or yeah. like, uh, that was much earlier. So I've been, I've been a geek about productivity tools since college. I was using like, remember the milk and then I got onto Todoist and mm -hmm. I was, just te I love testing stuff. So we would do a lot of roundups on the blog and on my channel. Like I had a lot of videos, like best calendar apps, best habit trackers. And there was one that very nearly sent my career on a different tra trajectory. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make like the best note-taking apps in 2019 video. And Notion was out back then. I was using Notion, but I was still using Evernote for notes because Notion had some weird quibbles with their editor. And I, I spent like probably a month testing every good note-taking tool out there and getting frustrated with all of them. <laughs> because none of them were in the right spot. So I very nearly built a note-taking app and started a new company. Like I had a Discord server with developers in there and like we were about to get into it. And then I had a thought and I went, okay, if I'm gonna build a note-taking app that everyone wants to use, it's got a sync between devices and it's gotta let you upload images. Okay, well, can you think of a potential problem that you would face as a business owner when you enable users to have those two features. You now have servers in the cloud mm -hmm. and you now have to make sure no one's uploading illegal material to those servers. And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> That's not something I wanna deal with. I'm out. Bye-bye. Which is, I think, a very good idea because I'm sure I could have wrangled up a good team and built a good note-taking app, but the explosion in the capability of PKM apps over the past few years, it's nuts. And you know, like, I'm not gonna compete with Notion. They're a $10 billion company that's putting AI into their tools and they're letting you build software. It's not just note-taking anymore. So 
yeah, it would be either me over here with like a, a rinky dink note taking app that I'm only giving half my attention to, or I could go full on and just, you know, make content for Notion. Thomas, have you ever had a, a normal job? How are you making money in those early days? I've had a bunch of normal jobs, but because of the timing of when my blog hit full-time income, I've never had like a post-graduation long-term full-time job. Mm. I've worked probably two dozen part-time jobs. I, I started working when I was 14. Even before that, I was like pulling my dad's lawnmower through the neighborhood, knocking on doors, asking to mow lawns. The only corporate job I did was my internship for three months. I worked at a, a Fortune 500 financial company and that felt like prison. So <laughs> the, the very nice thing is I was doing that thinking at the time, oh, I'm, I'm interested in computer networking. I'm going to be a network admin, realizing that that work is not usually like wiring up servers. And if there's like a discipline you can get into, but I thought that was going to be all wiring up servers and active work and building. And no, I was just like changing firewall configurations all day. But I also realized like at a more fundamental level that I want to create things. I don't want to maintain things. And it just so happened that my blog had started to take off while I was doing that internship. So I was doing my internship work. I was doing a good job there, but any spare moment I got, I was working on the blog, having a blast. And as I progressed through college after the internship, I started thinking more and more, could I do this on my own instead of getting a job? And there was a lot of uncertainty even until my senior year. I, I hadn't hit full-time income yet, hadn't met my wife yet. So I was like, I guess I'm gonna graduate and move to Minneapolis and there's this web development agency. I may apply there and see if I can get a job. Two things happened. I met my wife halfway through my senior year and I hit $5,000 a month in revenue on the blog. And that was enough to convince me to stay in Ames, which is in Iowa for people who don't know where Ames is and just try to build my own business. I'm trying to like piece together the story now for you like turning this into a full business, 5K a month, full-time income. Where was that year-wise along with YouTube? Because I think I heard that you didn't turn on AdSense for a while either. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's like 100,000 subscribers until you turned it on, I think. This is true. Yeah, I waited until 100,000 subscribers to turn on AdSense. And <laughs> that would have been like well into 2015. So yeah, it took me a year to hit 100,000 subscribers. So I went a year at least without any AdSense. But I actually hit that $5,000 a month all the way back in 2012. So this was several years before, this was before the podcast and this was before YouTube. It was just with the blog. And it was all, it was basically inspired by what Pat Flynn did. Like I looked at what Pat Flynn did and I was like, could I do that for students? And for context, Pat Flynn over a decade ago on Smart Passive Income used to publish these very open and detailed income reports every month. Oh yeah, I remember those. They're amazing. Every dollar, yeah. here's every dollar, here's where they come from. So super open, super transparent. And then a lot of his monetization strategy was affiliate marketing. So mm -hmm. even within those income reports, it's like, hey, this month I made 30 grand off Bluehost. And if you want a website, like use Bluehost to host it, here's my link. And it, it was interesting because it's like, well, I know he's advertising, but like he's also being so open and transparent that I kind of want to support him. <laughs> so I thought, well, could I do that? And one thing that I had been pretty good at was building my own website that sort of sh uh, served as a student portfolio and helped me to get jobs. With that internship, actually, that plus some other things I had done, the company offered me the position without even interviewing me. They were just like, yeah, we've seen your stuff. We want to give you the position. So I built a super lengthy guide on how to build a personal like student portfolio website using WordPress. I pitched my host that I was using and that ended up being number one on Google for quite some time. So it ended up generating 5k a month before I graduated. So a couple things happened. First thing paid off all my student loans, decided to stay in Iowa and just try to build the business. That, that just like brings me back because I kind of had a similar thing back in the day, but it just that affiliate world and, and, and the AdSense. And I remember like shoe money was like this big affiliate with like AdSense checks. And yeah, so it just reminds me of all that. And I actually, my last business I sold and I was part of Blue, Bluehost. And so I remember seeing all these affiliate checks. So let's move along with the timeline, I guess. I mean, so now we're, he gets the 5k, which is around 2012. Basically like hit the 5k. Then I started my podcast in 2013. Uh, and then I graduated and what I did for a year was kind of rest on my laurels. Passive income is a hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's funny because like a lot of people, you'll see these articles like there's no such thing as passive income, but like literally that's kind of what I hit. Like five grand a month that was almost guaranteed because 
HostGator takes two months to pay you mm-hmm. for your month's earnings. So I was at least, you know, I have two months out guaranteed income of 5K or more. So I kind of spent a year trying to get myself to write blog posts, but mostly just playing Magic the Gathering all day. <laughs> So it's not That's like I was amazing. doing nothing, but I wasn't pushing forward. Uh, and it wasn't until mid-2014 where I, I read this book called The Motivation Hacker. And it was this guy who is, lives in San Francisco. He's like one of those quantified self-people. And he wrote an entire book about how he got himself to do all these big audacious goals he had. So one of them was, I'm super deadly afraid of skydiving but I'm going to make myself do it. The other one is I have been trying to get myself to write a book for years. This is that book. I'm going to make myself do it. And the, the sort of breakthrough for me was reading about this tool that he used, which is called BeeMinder, where you can basically hook it up to an API for tracking data. And then you can bet money that you're going to do what you said you were going to do. So he went all in and bet half of his net worth that he would skydive and half of his net worth that he would finish the book, which I think was seven and seven grand each at the time. And so of course he did both of them. He went skydiving and he put in his daily words and wrote his book. And I went, oh, that's the key. I need an external tool that will keep me accountable. When I was in school, I had that. I had professors, I had coaches in sports. When I was working jobs, I had bosses. But now I got five grand guaranteed for the next two months, you know, basically perpetually, and nobody telling me what to do. I need a system. So I basically set up BeeMinder and I hooked it up to my blog's RSS feed and I set it to charge me money if I didn't publish a blog post every week, a podcast every week, and a video every week. Back then I was doing all three every week. So for three years, and I've got the graphs to prove it, there was consistent content across all those three different mediums. And that's what really built the business over time. Yeah. Yeah. And and just speaking from my experience too, I mean, that's as soon as just the consistency thing, once you hit that streak, you're deadly, you know, and mm-hmm. it takes time, but, and it's a lot of work, but it, it, it pays I, off. So that, that's cool. I mean, I mean, my experience is I'm really terrible with consistency. And every time <laughs> I do have a period of consistency and publishing stuff every week, the numbers seem to go up. Like even the process of just publishing my podcast every week seems to work well, but then I sort of fall off it and find it hard to get back on. So you didn't, for three years, did you not fall off publishing all three of those every week? Yeah, it was, it was for three years, just about. And so it's interesting, right? There's like this decoupling of the expectation of result from the input. Like you put it in the work for a certain period of time and you're getting the results, but then you get used to the results and you start thinking, well, I would keep getting those results even if I didn't put the work in, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you get humbled. <laughs> exactly. In those three years, was the channel just growing through virtue of you putting in or the business growing just from you putting in the consistent work? Did you have to do anything else to grow it? Was it just, yeah, was it just the case of publishing? It was definitely not just the case of publishing. I will say that's, that's the foundation. Yeah. So my definition of luck is preparation meets serendipity. And, and I think, you know, you both would agree that your businesses have grown in the same way. It's, you put in all this prep work essentially you're building the foundations and then when you have that foundation there's an opportunity that comes by that you're now ready to take advantage of yeah. and many many in many cases that is somebody who is above you who now sees what you're doing and wants to work with you or promote you or whatever it is so there were tons of little catalysts for growth hmm. through those three years and i'll pick one just out the top of my head i was attending vidcon every year since 2015. 2016, there was this program where you could apply to get, I think it was an hour of in-person mentoring from another YouTuber who was bigger. And there were a bunch of YouTubers who volunteered to be the mentors. Well, two of those were Hank Green from Crash Course yeah. and Blog Brothers, and then Destin from Smarter Every Day, both YouTubers with millions of subscribers. So I'm there, I get in, and they match me with those two guys. And I had to, I had to actually sneak my way into where the meetings were happening because they, they set the meetings up, but they failed to tell the security that people were allowed to go into the building where the meetings were. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to like social engineer my way in. But once I got in, I had these amazing conversations with Hank and with Destin. And I remember the conversation I had with Hank, he gave me all this great advice. And at the end of the conversation, I was like, what about crash course study skills? Cause they had this huge channel crash course, which is one of my biggest inspirations. It's free school online essentially really good series of videos on biology world history all this kind of stuff it was a huge inspiration of mine and i was like it would be amazing if there was a study skills crash course so he's like email my people 
and I got to go to Montana. I got to write and host the entire Crash Course Study Skills series. Wow. So there's all those kinds of things where you build these relationships over time. You pitch interesting projects or somebody promotes your work. And that's sort of like what helps the consistent posting actually grow. We, we just did an episode, Jar and I, on some YouTube creators. You were one of those who have built up a big channel and then built businesses on the side of that. And one thing we noticed about almost all of these YouTube channels is they spent a lot of time building up a YouTube channel. And so it was hard to kind of say to people, this is a good channel for you to start and go and build a business from. And some people think, yeah, well, yeah, YouTube's hard. It's saturated as it's ever been. But I've heard you say you think it's easier now to start and grow on YouTube. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think YouTube is easier than it's ever been. And there's, there's a confluence of factors that go into that. The biggest one is that YouTube is bigger than it's ever been. The right. audience is bigger. And when the audience is bigger, that means the micro niches become bigger. So a great example, I've got a friend, Patch, who loves nature and animals, and he loves video games, specifically fighting games. And now you see tier lists everywhere, but when he made his channel Tier Zoo, it was a very novel concept to basically make tier lists of the animal kingdom. So it'd be like the dog tier list, what's the best kind of dog, or what's the best kind of insect? And that channel blew up, and I think he's near 4 million subscribers at this point. And it was just so interesting because I remember being a college student in 2010, watching fighting game community content on YouTube, but it was a very small niche. And now fighting games and tier lists and all this stuff, it's, it's huge. And you can do tier lists of anything. So there's all these tiny little micro niches. I mean, a 100K channel on one software tool that isn't Microsoft Office, that was unthinkable 10 years ago. So the more people who come into the platform, the more niches you can that are viable. It's a good point too. And I also, I actually think part of it is the way that we consume content now. People really like the video, you know, and, mm -hmm. and the shorter clips and the 10 minute, eight to 10 minute videos. And the, you know, it's, it's just an easier way to digest a bunch of information at once. Thomas, what's your view on shorts? So that was the other thing I was going to kind of bring up is my perception five years ago, 2018, 2019, before COVID was that the production value on big channels was going up. Hmm. And we still see some of that today, but back then people like Peter McKinnon were popping off. Everyone was buying sliders and gimbals and 8K cameras and doing speed ramps and hiring color graders for the YouTube videos. Like, I don't know what I was doing back then. Now it's all shorts. People are filming on their phone. They're duct taping a lav mic to a pocket knife or something. <laughs> like, and it gets millions of views. So. The bar to entry just keeps coming down in every possible aspect of the production process to the point where you, at a certain point, you're going to be able to deep fake me, synthesize my voice, have chat GPT, write a script in my style, put that out there. You didn't even lift a finger like it's coming. Uh -huh. So I don't know, like I, I have my reservations and worries about that and, and what shorts may be doing to our attention spans. But uh, I think we can safely say that the barrier to entry is low. The number of viable niches is growing. So if you can go become the go-to person in a niche where there's a growing audience who is hungry for information or hungry for you to help them, entertain them, then you've got a viable channel. And yeah. people keep proving it every single day while everyone else is out here being like, oh, it's too late to get on YouTube, too late to get on TikTok. Here's another person who just built a 100K subscriber channel in just a couple of months. Yeah. Well, someone else has built another 100K channel after having another channel is you, Thomas, with Thomas Frank Explains. And you've almost done exactly what you what you just said. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Why did you stop posting to Thomas Frank, Thomas Frank main channel and start to push all your notion content over to Thomas Frank Explains? Well, it wasn't on purpose, at least the, the stopping of the posting on the main <laughs> channel, but building the second channel was on purpose. So I had made a few Notion videos on the main channel. There was one that went over my production process template. There was one that went over our note-taking template I made, but I was getting more and more into Notion and I wanted to make some videos that were very technical and very niche. One of them that I wanted to make, and I think this was the first one I wrote for Thomas Frank Explains, it was the second one I published, was on how to open Notion links in the desktop app because back then they hadn't really implemented a way for that. There was a 
HTTPS URL handler, and then there was a Notion colon slash slash URL handler. So I made a little like it was a I think it was an Alfred script that would replace the HTTPS with a Notion one, and I wanted to make a tutorial on it. And I thought this is the kind of video that my audience on my giant channel does not care about. And even though YouTube's algorithm is much more focused on videos than on channels, I thought this is something that should have its own channel. And if I wanna make more Notion content, why not create a destination for it? So there was two considerations there. Number one, I don't wanna flood my channel with all this Notion content and make people perceive that that's what this channel is now because a lot of them are not interested in it. But number two, if I'm gonna make a Notion channel or if I'm gonna make Notion content, why not put it on its own channel for branding purposes? So for people who don't know, the YouTube algorithm is entirely focused on videos. You could have a bad video and your next video could be great and the bad video doesn't drag the great video down. But when someone lands on your video, and they wanna check your channel out, ideally what you want them to do is binge as much of your content as possible. That's how channels blow up. That's why Mr. Beast blows up. You watch one video, the next video is just as interesting. You know, if you wanna watch people not take their hand off of a Lamborghini for as long as possible, then you'll watch them not take their hand off of some other sports car as long as possible, or <laughs> you'll watch them not leave a circle for as long as possible. Very tight coupling of interests there. So my perception was if someone lands on a great notion tutorial, and they wanna watch more, I want them to click that channel link and look at the channel page and go, wow, this is, I've hit the holy grail, this is what I want. And if I had a channel full of variety content, they're not gonna get that immediate kind of kick to the face of yeah. this is the destination. So I wanted to build a destination and it was gonna be a side project. The intention was to you know, hopefully build up like an extra 10K a month in income so I could replace one sponsored video on my main channel. And then I accidentally built a business that does 10 times that much. So I <laughs> sort of didn't get a chance to post more content on the main channel. Yeah. And I actually love that. That's like, I, I want to underline that again, because that it just, it makes so much sense. Yeah. You, you have someone land on her video and then they just continue to consume that style of content. That makes a ton mm. of sense. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so fascinated with like the inder, I guess the underlying way you run your business is it how you structure it like for me i've got make lemonade right and then we've got lemon squeezy and we have these other projects like I, it's very structured for me to understand but mm -hmm. running what you run and you talk you say a lot like we so you must have a big team but it's thomas frank so is it thomas frank media and then you have all these t subsidiaries underneath it like how does that all work well the corporate structure is <laughs> i have a an llc called business things and whatnot okay <laughs> No, I, and I, I know you're laughing, but like I, I geek out on this stuff. I think this is fascinating oh, yeah. how people do this. I'm just yeah, laughing yeah. at the name. My friend Steve Cam from, from Nerd Fitness many years ago, he was like, if you're gonna make an LLC, don't name it after your blog, make it more generic so you can use it for other projects. Right. And I was like, all right, let's go with the most generic name in the entire world, business things and whatnot. And people <laughs> very, they laugh sometimes when they see my credit card, but that's what I love called. that. There was, I discovered one earlier called Handmade Spaceships. Uh, that's as good a company and a lot yeah. of us where we're doing multiple things it's hard to have like one business so okay staying on this path so you have a team are they full-time mm. when did you get full-time how many employees do you have like how does that all do they show up to the office is it so just before this meeting i hired our ninth person i think like five of us are full-time Okay. And then there's four contractors. We kind of just got our stuff together on this one this year. So I hired Marissa Goldberg, who's uh, also a pretty prominent figure in the Notion community. And she's uh, also like a very experienced ops person. And she's the one who's really helped us figure out like W-2 stuff, payroll, employment, like all that stuff was, it was so intimidating. It's so hard to get into. And you know, you go through entrepreneurship and everyone who's an entrepreneur is like, don't hire employees, it's a pain in the butt. And huh. I will say that it, it is, unless you hire someone to help you with it. Then sure. it's just more expensive, but it's not a pain in the butt. So I recommend like when you get to maybe like past five people, get yourself an ops director. It will mm -hmm. help you so much. Unless you wanna sure. do ops yourself, I guess. Is yeah. the majority of the of the revenue for the business through no, the Notion templates or is there other, is you still have the blogging stuff that comes in or sponsorships or is there various like ancillary revenue that comes in as well? Yeah, so at this point, templates are the majority but we have several other sources. And if people are curious, I my pinned tweet in my Twitter profile right now is my 2022 review for our income, and I actually broke that down. 
but it's like, I think we did a million in template sales last year. It was like 150 in AdSense and then maybe a hundred for sponsorships and a hundred for courses each. And then there's, there's a few smaller things like affiliates are a less bigger, are a less, a lesser part of our business now. Mm-hmm. Book sales are a very tiny sliver at this point, but they're still there. Did yeah. you expect the templates to be such a huge part of your business revenue? Oh. <laughs> not at all. Before the templates, for about three, no, not three years, almost five years, my biggest income source was sponsorships on my videos. So if you go back through my main YouTube channel for it's 2017 through 2021 or 2022, every video pretty much had a sponsor and I was making around 10K per video. So if we had four videos in a month, that'd be like 40K. That was our main income source. And then eventually, I think Skillshare also became a pretty big source because we had three courses there. And so through sponsorships with Skillshare, we brought in a lot of people who would then watch our courses on Skillshare and earn extra money there too. So that had a, that was, that was going well, but I was getting pretty burned out making Mm. a video every week. I was also kind of getting burned out just like making videos just to bring an income. Like I'd hit a million subscribers and I knew what I was creating was helpful, but I didn't have like this giant overarching vision for what I was building too. So when you lack that, it can get kind of meaningless feeling when you're doing the work, especially when you're doing the stuff that you don't want to do anymore. Like I got to the point where I didn't want to edit anymore. And so I'm sitting there editing videos, scrambling to meet my sponsor deadlines, being like, why am I doing this? And then I got into the Notion stuff and the original idea was to take the production process template that we had created for my YouTube channel and turn it into a product. And I thought this is gonna be maybe two, three grand in income every month, (laughs) but wouldn't that be nice, like extra beer money and maybe it can get a little bit bigger. And I remember the time Notion templates were a thing, but they're mostly a free thing. I had been giving away my free templates. People were downloading them, but there was this undercurrent of who would pay for a Notion template online. And I now realize that to be, that's Reddit's opinion and Reddit (laughs) disproportionately attracts people who, let's just say they are not shy about expressing their opinions and they like to do things themselves, which is totally fine. Sure. Yeah. Uh, And and a lot of people on Reddit, like, you know, students or people from all over the world, like don't want to pay for things. So that was what people were saying. But my perception was, no, I've built this custom piece of software that improves our YouTube process and you can't recreate it in other software. There's stuff you can't do here anywhere else. I think this is worth money. So let's just say, screw it and charge 130 bucks for it and see what happens. Like I can always slash the price later. And with almost no marketing, like so little marketing, it was like 15K a month overnight on that one. And I realized, okay, so people do want business tools. There's a lot of interest in this in this piece of software. People don't know how to use it. Some people are willing to learn, but some people just want it set up for them. Okay, let's lean into it. And Ultimate Brain, which is the second template, the one that makes the majority of our income, that was the result of my sort of quest for the Holy Grail in uh, Notion world, which was build a notion template that can handle my notes, my projects, my tasks, like the whole stack of productivity apps I'm using and juggling over here. I want that to be one thing. And for four years, learning the ins and outs of notion, begging them for features, sending bug reports, it wasn't at the level yet where it would work until last year, eventually they had released enough features and I had learned enough where I got to the point that I could build a system I was happy with, where I was happy fully ditching Todoist, fully ditching Evernote. So at this point, it's like all of that stuff is in Notion except for Calendar, which is still Google Calendar. And we put that template out. There was a huge response. There was a big waiting list that got set up for that. And I think the day we launched it to the waiting list, we made like 14K. And then we launched it to the big list. And then it was like another 10K or 11K in a day. And then the real big thing was we put out our video about it and just started making like four or five grand a day. That's crazy. Was it just yes. a video on the Thomas Frank Explains channel? Did one go out on yes. your main channel? Just on the So Thomas I've Frank? actually done zero promotion for my templates on my main channel. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I've done almost no promotion for Thomas Frank Explains itself on the main channel. Part of that was you know, things got so busy with the template business that I I just haven't published a video. I actually haven't published a video on the main channel since before Ultimate Brain launched. But also there was a possibly like foolhardy, proud side of me 
that was like, I bet you I can build another YouTube channel that's successful without heavily leaning on the main channel to promote it. Like in, in business terms, it's kind of stupid. Like why wouldn't you use, you know, you never once used your greatest weapon, Dr. Strange. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of proud that I was able to do it again without really leaning on the main channel to promote it that much. And I, I think that. it's it's just yet more proof that if you make good content that is covering topics people want to know mm. about and you make good titles and thumbnails, you can build a successful channel without already being famous or already having a big following. I also think too, I talk a lot about capturing an audience or building an audience. You've captured mm. the notion audience, similar to what I did in the mm. past with WordPress. I followed the, the, the wave of WordPress and, and that led to a lot. Do you ever get concerned about being so tied to notion or do you look at other ways you want to kind of branch out? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, the f the fact is that I don't work for Notion. So like, I think that Notion would be rightly worried about being, being too tied to me and that I should be rightly worried about being too tied to Notion. So like, you know, my big project in life right now is is teach Notion. But yeah, like it's, it's just good business to make sure that, that I'm not seen as only the Notion guy. And that is part of the reason that the channel is not branded around Notion. It's not Thomas Frank teaches Notion or Notion yeah. Mastery or anything like that. It's it's just Thomas Frank explains and I can explain anything. So my perception here is like, you know, I'm going to keep focusing on notion as long as I can. However, in making my content, I also build a reputation up as a good teacher, a good explainer. We build a good reputation through our products. We have, you know, great support. We've got a refund policy. We have a lot of happy customers. That's not worth nothing. If notion goes away, right? That's our reputation. It's our products. It's our content. And if we have to pivot, that's a base of assets and reputation and community that we have to do that. Yeah. I love that. Smart. I'm curious. And I, 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 this, the main channel thing blows me away, right? You've got this <laughs> massive channel and you haven't posted in, in a year. I like you proved that you can build another channel. Fantastic. You don't need like mm -hmm. the sponsorship revenue from the main channel, but it's an asset there that, you can do something with. Have you had any thoughts about like hiring someone else to carry on producing content for that channel, for the people that subscribe that have enjoyed that content over the years, mm -hmm. or is it just, it's just not something that you're going to touch for a while. So we've tried it. I have a guy who works for me. His name's Ransom and he, he's been with me for years. He was writing content on college info geek. He basically took over the content there. And so we had the idea last year of, okay, well, I don't have time to write content for the main channel. How about you write the content and I'll film it. And I've tried this variation so many times over the years, but yeah. I just don't have the personality for that to sit mm -hmm. down and just, just deliver a script. I got to put myself into the work. And when you've got something that's going well, you ought to focus on it. So, yeah. you know, the, the harsh truth is that there's just not a lot of focus in me to make good content on the main channel. And I'm hoping to get back to a point where there is that focus because there's stuff I want to do. I would love to build a series of personal finance videos on that channel. I have zero incentive to make money from talking about money. Unlike almost everyone on YouTube talking about money. And I know a lot about it. So, it would be fun to do that. I have like a 14,000 word draft on credit cards that I, I need to finish at some point. I put way too much research into it. So uh, there's ambition there. There's just a lack of focus in time because over here, there's this thriving business that's tons of fun. JR, what are your thoughts on Notion as a thing and productivity tools and people delving into all of these tools and maybe getting in the way of... So I kind of have like a hard opinion on this, which is kind of funny. And I wanted to ask you this because... I've kind of done the same. I grew up with Evernote, Todoist, Things, Wonderlist. I've done them all. I even did some Notion templates. But I've always kind of felt like it's an excuse to just do the work, right? It's like, I'm going to get all this stuff and have it all look all pretty and nice and have everything looking good. And then I'll get to my work rather than just <laughs> a simple just to-do list. And I just knock it off one by one. Like literally mine's a bare notes app right now. And it's now, next, later. And it's just, what do I have to do right now? And just get it done. So I guess I'm asking, my question is, how would you convince someone like me to just use it? Like, what, what am I missing? What, what am I being ignorant about? I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. just the thing. That's just the thing. So my view of productivity is it's the person, it's the task, and it's the interaction there. Great quote I heard the other day. It's like a, a system is not the sum of its parts. It is the product of its interactions. 
So the system of you and your productivity has the input of you and the project, and then the interaction is generated therein. So you have to ask, what's the project or projects you have to work on? How complicated is your life? And then what kind of person are you? Some people like to have this meticulously built system where I know where everything is. I know I have a specific spot. I collect a lot of information online. I'm constantly saving articles or I'm constantly brain dumping ideas. That's the kind of person I am. In any given day, I'll probably clip 10 web articles. I'll probably have at least three or four notes that I generate and I'll probably have at least three or four guitar licks or lyrical bits that I'll sing into my phone. And I want all that stuff in places where I can easily find it later on. So for me, having an all-in-one system makes perfect sense. But if you're like, I got my focus, I keep my life simple, I know what my tasks are, then a piece of paper on your desk can do just fine. This is what I've said, you know, ever since I started like reviewing productivity software on my channel, Ben Franklin was productive with a parchment and quill. It's where's your focus, how obsessed are you with the task, and how many inputs do you need to manage in your life? If it's a lot and, and also you enjoy that process of organization, then a more complex tool makes sense. If it's little, or if you don't like organization, you just want to like take the thing in front of you and do and execute on it, then absolutely execute on it. Don't add a tool if it doesn't solve a problem for you. Right. Right. It's interesting too, that you say that like that, because I've noticed looking at your site, you've got a lot of things that you've done, like your, your impossible list. I love some mm-hmm. of the things you've done, by the way, like the pull-ups challenge, the bench, by the way, you bench 300 pounds, which is actually crazy. Yeah, it kind of gets me thinking because even like with my fitness stuff, I'm very, very into fitness and I'm at my gym. I've, I just have like a whiteboard and I just write what I wrote. I just write what I need to do that mm-hmm. day and then that's it. I've tried to follow iPhone apps and programs and I seem to struggle with that. So maybe it's me and not the tool. Yeah, I mean, so like any given period in time, like if you take any tool, how long has it existed as a proportion of how long humans have been doing any kind of work where even you just have to record stuff. So it's not even take like all of human history, but like all of human history where the average person needs to work with informational tools. Any given tool is just a sliver of that time. And in all the rest of the time, people have been perfectly productive. So it's just like, what's the tool that really speaks to you? Uh, And the thing I love about Notion is it's for the first time giving the average person who can't code the ability to build a bespoke software tool that works for their processes. Mm-hmm. So what really inspired me was getting into it and building our production pipeline because we tried Asana, we tried ClickUp, we tried all these tools and there were just ways in which we had to mold ourselves to fit the tool where within Notion we can mold the tool to fit our workflow. Perfect example, when you're a filmmaker or when you make B-roll videos like we did, you have what's called your A-roll, it's the talking head. If people are watching this on YouTube right now, we're basically just A-roll. But in most of my videos, we would get our A-roll cut down to the length of the video, and then we'd go shoot on location, getting lots of shots or animations or whiteboard drawings. And when you're in what I call the gathering process for getting all that, you wanna batch the tasks of gathering each piece as efficiently as possible. And the order in which you get them is not going to be the order in which you put them on the timeline when you're editing. Cause I may have 10 shots I need to go get on this, this mountain we're gonna go travel to and have a shooting day there. And then there may be some more shots where I need to be on set. Here's the camera for my whiteboard, drawing stuff. There's gonna be animations we create in After Effects. And so in Notion, I was able to create a list of all those ideas tagged by how and where I'm going to gather them so we can batch that task. And then when we go into the edit, I was able to make another database view that lists them all in terms of their timestamp where they're supposed to go on the timeline. And that little that little thing was what sold me on Notion. Because before, I, see. I was like drawing little symbols next to each one that I'd write into a notebook and then I'd have to like identify the symbols or I was dragging things around into Doist by hand. Just simple sort and filter criteria changed our business. And likewise, like we were able to build a task management workflow that then when the project is finished, it becomes a piece of archival content where we can reference it. Like I just sent the script for a video I made three years ago to a friend yesterday and I knew exactly where it was. I was able to pull it up in like five seconds. And that's something that you can't do with normal project management software. I'm so envious of you because I've, well, we've been talking for the last few months and I've gotten to know you and the way that you think and the way you work and even listening to you. Your level of detail is so high 
it's like i'm so envious of that because i mean even getting onto this podcast james is like you're so chill about these episodes you don't really like i'm like yeah i just kind of fly by the seat of my pants i like to like feel the conversation <laughs> what we're talking about but just i wish i had that and and maybe like you said it is type it is the person and the tool and i, I could see how notion for someone like you is so powerful i mean even watching your youtube video just barely on notions api course which is like a free course i mean the timestamps. there's probably i don't even know a hundred timestamps in just that one video and you could if you want to look inside thomas's brain go watch that video and look at the timestamps. i mean it is remarkable <laughs> that video was inspired by taryn who was the lead editor for linus tech tips for a very long time and we actually just signed him so he's part of nebula now he has this amazing video I think it's just called like the world's most advanced editing tutorial. The and is that the four hour long four, one? It's the four hour long video. And I was inspired by him because you go into the description and the timestamps are even more meticulous than mine. And I was like, oh, that's how you make video accessible. Because a two hour video with no timestamps, you're like, where the heck was that thing? But if I can use timestamps, now it's just like a blog post. I can scan it. It's great. Sure. Yeah. Timestamps are so, great. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned Nebula just there. And JR and I were talking about Nebula on the last recording we did because like a ton of these creators, it seems, are promoting Nebula. And Nebula and Curiosity Stream have this deal and you like I look at it and I go, right, I pay thirteen bucks and I get access for Nebula. Yeah, I look on Nebula's site and it's five bucks a month to subscribe, but I can just get it for thirteen through Curiosity Stream. How did Nebula come about? And how does that deal work? Yeah. So well, I guess the thing I should say up front is that I don't think the deal works anymore. I feel like that deal was like very much a product of like free flowing VC money, which in 2023, <laughs> we're getting a little bit less of that. So, and that's a curiosity stream thing. That's not an us thing. So we're kind of like focusing on direct now. I think you can get Nebula now for 30 bucks a year. So it's still a pretty good deal yeah. compared to most of those streaming services. So it came about, we had this agency called Standard and I joined it in 2017. I think I was like the seventh creator to join it. And it was, it was what got me my YouTube sponsors. So before then it'd be like a random agency comes, I can never predict it. They're like, hey, we're gonna give you a sponsorship. Audible wants to pay you a thousand bucks, cool. Of course, they're not telling me how much they're taking. They're not telling me what the actual rate was, what their cut is. I don't have any predictability. It's just like, oh, cool. Thank you for giving me a sponsor. And then I signed with Standard and it was like, everything is transparent. We take 20%, we represent you exclusively. So our, you could call it fiduciary duty is to you, not to the brands. And I ended up building this, you know, really great relationship with Dave Wiskus, the guy who runs it. And then a lot of the creators, like we all just became super tight. We have a Slack where we're talking all day long. And so it just became this very tight knit community that started to grow organically. And we got to the point where so many of our creators were dealing with so many bogus copyright strikes for clearly fair use content that were like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a place where we could post stuff that just can't go on YouTube because it gets demonetized or because it gets bogus copyright striked or because it's covering topics that YouTube will suppress in the algorithm. And so we, we decided to build that. And then over time, it's just become this creator owned creator, not, I wouldn't say creator run. Cause there is like a full team of employees who literally run it, but creator run in the sense that the creators have so much input on the decisions that are made and it's just grown over time. It's been incredible to see because I don't think anything like this has been done before successfully where it is like bootstrapped creator run mm -hmm. and still running five years later with over 600,000 paying users. How involved are you in this on a day-to-day? -day? So I'm, I'm non-operational like all the other owners. And for context, any owner, anybody who's repped by standard can buy in to get equity and be part of the company. But I do have a lot of input. And personally, I don't have like an obligation to be involved, but I'm just involved all the time. So a lot of involvement, just like of a voluntary sort at this point, especially since I'm not making a lot of videos on my main channel. I made a class for, for Nebula, but like I'm not making a ton of sponsored videos, so. How does content work on that? Is it exclusive specific content for Nebula? Is it early releases from some of the channels that they put it on Nebula and then also on their YouTube channels? So we have a few different things. Um, first and foremost, all of my YouTube content goes on Nebula as well. And then the exclusive nature, there's three of them. There's first, there's plus, and there's originals. So first is just like a video that goes to Nebula first before YouTube. So we have a lot of creators. Jetlag is a very good one. Good example. They post each episode a week early on Nebula before it goes live on YouTube. And then plus is just like extra bonus behind the scenes content. So I used to do like an extra bonus piece for every video. 
And then originals are literally like funded by Nebula, big projects that a lot of creators just could not do, usually due to lack of funding and ability to make it. And so Nebula will fund those and there'll be originals on Nebula. And then they work very well as the talking points for when we sponsor our creators to go talk about Nebula. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Thomas, do you have five more minutes to talk about Gumroad Lemon Squeezy? Is that okay? Yeah. So tell tell us about what was going through your mind when that Gumroad announcement came out where they were hiking your price up to 13% or 12.9% from three. Yeah, I was in New York when that happened. Uh, I was like riding in a cab to Brooklyn to see a show while typing up that giant tweet thread (laughs) with all my thoughts on it. (laughs) But yeah, my first thought was, huh, that's a Porsche. I'm, I'm buying them a Porsche over the yeah. next 12 months with this yeah. price increase. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was at the 3% tier. And to be fair to Gumroad, now that I have spent almost two months of my life very deeply looking into the online payments industry, how the heck were they charging 3% while also like handling chargebacks and support and all that crap? Like I could see they weren't making money, but 10%. And then offloading the credit card fee onto me. So it's basically 13%. Like I just couldn't stomach it. So yeah, my immediate thought was like, I need a switch. I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but I think I need a switch. And so you did a thread the other day, which was awesome showing some of the, some of the payment options you were looking Mm -hmm. through. Talk us through why you went so deep into it and how you sort of landed on lemon squeezy. Yeah. So like JR said, I'm a very detail oriented person. I love putting out free resources for people. So when this happened, I realized like there's a lot of confusion out there. People don't know what to move to. They don't know if they should move. Another piece of the puzzle is I'm very aware that in this day and age, you're supposed to pay taxes on digital goods you sell. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who either don't know, or they're going, la, 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 la. I don't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me. Na, la, la. <laughs> I'm not that guy. I'm like, no, this someday some government's going to come to my door and be like, uh, we finally got our stuff together and you owe a bunch of taxes from 2020. I'm not going to be the guy who didn't pay them. So I wanted to be tax compliant. That's part of the reason I went with Gumroad in the first place is because they were one of the few that would do the VAT remittance and everything. And I was like, well, I want to create a resource helping people decide what to use. And I also don't know what to use myself. A big piece of this is I saw the price increase announcement. And my first thought was, holy crap, that's a ton of money I'd have to pay if I stayed. The other thought was maybe this is the fire under my my butt that I need to finally implement stuff like upsells and better tracking, like all these advanced things that I could get if I went to like a custom Stripe integration or WooCommerce or something like that. So my journey didn't start with Lemon Squeezy. I started first, I think with Samcart and had a terrible experience with them. They're like the one that I would not recommend. Uh, I tried Thrivecart, didn't like their designs. I tried a paddle, same issue with design. And I didn't know how to code back then. So I didn't understand their docs very well. I tried a bunch. I, I invested a lot of time into a couple of WordPress-based solutions like WooCommerce with Cartflows and Surecart. I think there's a lot of merit to both. But what it really came down to is I couldn't get taxes calculated perfectly like with upsells and everything i was like trying quaderno i was in talks with them like i was in talks with getting my accountants to figure out global tax compliance themselves it was a whole thing like i spent months building a second wordpress site literally with checkouts and all this kind of stuff and then it came to like february 1st the price increase went to effect and i'm like i I can't handle this myself there's just like it it's not ready i'm so like okay let's just check let's just try one excuse me And I wasn't as familiar with your platform quite at that point. So I didn't really know all the stuff I could do, but I got onto it and I'm like, at at the very least, this will be what I switched to for the time being. And then I started learning how to code and learning how to work with APIs. And I saw you guys have webhook data. And I'm like, let me just try playing around with that. And I quickly realized like, oh, okay, with the API and the webhooks and me knowing a little bit of code, I can basically do whatever I want. (laughs) Yeah. And then you guys are handling the taxes entirely for me, which is a huge weight off my chest. Cause like there's always that math where it's like, if you get to a certain sales volume, then you're incentivized to absolutely minimize your transaction cost and hire people in house to do stuff. But man, nobody knows how to do global tax compliance. It would cost a fortune. Like it gets to the point where I don't think that's worth hyper optimizing because what you guys charge isn't hugely above Stripe. Right. Yeah. And I think even as you get into Stripe too, people don't realize that is, 
if you need subscriptions, if you need, like Mm -hmm. you get to 7% pretty quick. And so what I loved actually about Thomas coming on is he's a big creator. He knows what he wants. He knows what he likes. He knows how he likes it. He knows, you know, and I loved it because we had a lot of DMS for like a month and you know, he'll still send them to me. And it was, it was really good to just kind of battle test everything and make sure everything was exactly how he wanted it. And that was, we grew a lot from this, not just from Thomas. Thomas was a big part of that, but a lot of people like Thomas that helped us kind of push the platform to, well, if you could just add this or make sure this works, that's been super helpful. And I think the other thing for Thomas too, is I noticed in his thread that he's not really reliant on the discovery part of Gumroad with the marketplace. I mean, there's a little piece that comes from it, but you have such a, such your own following and audience that you could kind of choose where you wanted to go. So that actually makes a lot of sense too. I think people overestimate uh, discover because within that productivity category on Gumber discover, I think I'm number two. So it's not like I don't rank highly there. It's just that a lot of sales don't come through it. I think like, cause we still have our Gumroad products up for the affiliate piece since I'm not in the beta yet. And I think it's people literally just sending the direct link to each other. When I go into the dashboard, it's like discover is there, but direct is still the top one. And I don't link to it anywhere on the internet. So it must just be like, Hey, check out this thing that someone sends in an email, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, anything else, Joe? You want to ask Tom? Thomas? Well, I mean, he did such a good job. Like, it's funny just going into this this episode today. He has this thread that just literally breaks down everything. And and it, I'm just so appreciative of having Thomas on. And, and it might not be, maybe he finds something, he gets big enough to the point where he doesn't need us anymore. And, and that's great. But for now, it's it's a pleasure to have him. And, and even you just coming on the podcast has been awesome. Just getting to know you. So... Well, seriously, thank you guys for having me on the show. This was a ton of fun. And I'm, I'm sure JR will continue to get more nitpicky DMs from me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Don't, yeah, please keep sending them so we get better. But no, I, but, I am super, super happy with Lemon Squeezy at this point. I don't really see a need to switch. That's great. Cool, man. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for coming on as guest on the Make Lemonade podcast. Absolutely. Well, thanks, guys. Cheerio. Cheers. Okay, all right.